here we go. Welcome to the Nine Rat Fantasy Football Podcast. Welcome back into the Nine Route Fantasy Football Podcast. We are here in the third round of the NFL Playoffs. Championship week is in the books. Another entertaining week, to say the least. Not quite as crazy, but still a little overtime uh, involved. And, and, and some things that we weren't expecting to see, where some of you may have been, uh, depending on what kind of a prognosticator or fan you are uh you had the cincinnati bengals taking out the kansas city chiefs in overtime and you had the los angeles rams uh with a barn burner of a uh, couple minutes there in the final final frame to take out the san francisco 49ers and pat what do you think you, you think we're in for a great super bowl now that now that we just have all this in the books I mean, if we're going off of the last two weeks, I can't see how this isn't one of the best Super Bowls in recent history. I mean, I, I tweeted something out earlier on our, our podcast account that the first week of the playoffs, we had three games decided by 21 points or more out of those first six. And then in the six games following that, which is both conference championship games and then the entire divisional round, all six of those games combined were only decided by 21 total points. So, you know, after they kind of got the the bums and scrubs out of the the way of the, uh, the the real playoff teams, these guys, I mean, these teams just really, they picked it up. And it's, you know, everybody was saying that the divisional round was probably the most, the best, the best weekend of football in recent history. And these, these two championship games, you know, like you said, one in overtime and then another three-point victory with, uh, you know, San Francisco, or excuse me, with the Rams going ahead and then shutting San Francisco down on defense to end the game. It just was two really good, entertaining, you know, tight games. Both teams that won had to come back a little bit. It was it was just had everything that you really look for in a uh, a, a championship weekend. Yeah, uh, I mean, again, wasn't expected. Maybe wasn't expected from last week to see as far as maybe Cincinnati being able to go in there and be as first half was one part of it, but but to regroup and and go in there and, and just take them apart in the second half. And, and Kansas City had no answer, and and obviously won the game in overtime. Turnovers were a factor. Mahomes was running for his life. It almost looked like the Super Bowl last year when the offensive line broke down and everything else. It looked like that delayed blitz that they kept running, especially near the end when they looked like they were going to score and that was going to be the game. And you see, you know, everybody's dropped back in coverage and then some 350 pounder comes barreling through and he's running for his life. It just, it's hard to get him off his spot and make him uncomfortable, but it seems like he was uncomfortable the entire second half and, Joe Barrow and those guys, they're playing with house money. So if they win, it's just that much more on top. But they have that that swagger, that confidence. And, and I think that's – personally, I think that's going to carry over to uh, to uh, the Lombardi Trophy for the first time being lifted by the Cincinnati Bengals. What do you think, Pat? I, I mean, the second game, obviously, too, when you look at the Niners and the Rams, you called that dead on 
last week uh, as far as the score. You said 2017 Rams. I was leaning Niners, and I felt like, you know, obviously that close, it could have went either way. Niners could have, would have, should have. Those are always the hindsight. It's 2020. You say, well, uh, you know, they, they make that interception or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, everybody's ripping Garoppolo for for the bad throw at the end there. It hit the guy in the hands. I mean, you know, it, it is what it is there. It's still a bad throw, but but it could have been a huge play. And then, of course, turns into the pick and and that's the game. But uh, I mean, what, what were your thoughts on that? Do you think Garoppolo is poo like some people think or, or, or are we talking about a guy who just you know, always gets, he, he always seems like he's just like the whipping boy because of, you know, the whole being in Brady's shadow and everything else. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel bad that Garoppolo gets, you know, kind of the, the grief that he gets in around the NFL, but he's not, here's the thing. Everybody wants a quarterback that is going to be able to kind of put a team on their back and win you a game. And I, I think, especially this, this generation of, of football fans, we've kind of unfortunately gotten spoiled by Tom Brady. Now there, I'm not saying that there aren't other really good quarterbacks in the league. You know, Patrick Mahomes is a guy that can absolutely take over a game. Uh, Joe Burrow seems to be the type of guy who is sort of coming into that, uh, that type of quarterback as well. But it's like, if you don't have that guy and Jimmy Garoppolo is, is not that guy. There's, there's no doubt about it. He's not the type of quarterback that's going to, you know, put up some some gaudy performance and single-handedly win you a game but he's he's generally good enough and he kept the Niners in this game I mean let's be honest it's it's this was not all Jimmy Garoppolo's fault that they lost this game like you said if if Jaquaski Tart intercepts that pass God bless you by the way did you sneeze (laughs) (laughs) we're looking at a completely different you know, probably a completely different outcome in this game. So, you know, football is, as I say, the ultimate team sport. So you can't put everything on one guy. You can't give one guy all the credit. You can't give one guy all the blame. I mean, I feel like we do that too much with quarterbacks. And while it is, you know, they are the field general, they are the ones in charge. You can't put everything on the back of one guy, uh, you know, when there's uh, 10 other guys on the field with them and, and 11 more on the other side of the ball plus your special teamers, as we saw in that 49ers um, Packers game, it is, it, it is truly a team sport and every, every person has to come to play and it, it, they fell a little bit short, but that's not Garoppolo's fault. Now, do I think that the 49ers are probably going to move on from Garoppolo? Yeah, I do. I mean, his contract is up. They drafted Trey Lance, yeah. you know, with the third overall pick this year. So, I mean, I think Garoppolo's time in San Francisco is over but I don't think that he's a bad quarterback. And I do think that there are plenty of teams out there that would happily sign him to a contract instead of, you know, some of the the people that they're, you know, considering, you know, as their starting quarterback for next year. So I think Garoppolo did enough to show that he's a capable quarterback and, and can win, you know, win you games. He's not going to be, the sole reason that you win games. So I think if he goes to a team that's talented enough, I really think the Pittsburgh Steelers would be a huge landing spot for him. I think it would be good for the Steelers. I think it would be good for Garoppolo. That's just my personal opinion. We'll, we'll see what happens in the offseason. But I'm not going to say I'm a fan of Jimmy G. Uh, you know, we live in this and, and we record in this fantasy football world where, you know, stats and numbers sort of dictate how good of a player you are. But the guy generally goes out and wins games and it's a shame because I, I do like Garoppolo and I, I would like to see him get a Super Bowl trophy, but 
I think the Rams are just a better team. And, and honestly, I think the Rams are the best team in the NFL. And I think they're going to win the Super Bowl this year. So I think next week when we get into our Super Bowl picks, you and I might have a little, uh, a little disagreement and maybe a little, uh, a, a little bet to, uh, to, to, to go on in this, in the Super Bowl. Yeah. When it comes to Garoppolo, I've always like felt it's, it's weird. I mean, and you just talked about like the team sport concept, obviously being, you know, Philly fans and Eagles won in 2017 and, you know, the quarterbacks take all the win loss of everything out of 52 guys. It's just a quarterback. That's all it is. And I always laugh because, you know, we're going to get into our wide receivers down the road uh, in this episode, which which we, you know, talked about in the preseason, how we guessed and, and how we finished and how their stats go. And the, yes, wide receivers are dependent upon a quarterback's play to to those extents, sometimes their own as well. I mean, Garoppolo, like his career numbers, like he's got almost a 99 quarterback rating He's thrown for 11,000 yards. He averages over eight yards a pass. He's got a pretty much a two-to-one touchdown to interception ratio. And he gets looked at like he's a total joke by a lot of people. I mean, and again, even the Niners had had picked Trey Lance. And a lot of that was due to injury. And I know back in the day, I think possibly preseason when we were making picks or during the year when we were talking about getting hot and cold and streaming quarterbacks, that he was a player who outside of the injury is really consistently decent, borderline good, has some bad plays, had some bad throws. Yeah. He'll throw a bad pick, but a lot of quarterbacks do. Uh, it, it doesn't matter who they are. Look at Pat Mahomes yesterday, you know, he considered top one, two, three quarterbacks in the league uh, had two interceptions, one extremely costly because he got tired of throwing the ball underneath and wanted to try to take a shot downfield into double coverage with an undersized yet speedy wide receiver. And you paid for it. And, and I mean, that's the same thing where, where you look at Garoppolo trying to make that little shovel pass falling down, still hit the guy in the hands. It could have made a play. Now, obviously, it's all it's all moot now. But he's one of those guys that gets almost lumped into the same with uh, a Baker Mayfield, who I personally still feel is just slop. And, you know, it, it does go back to coaching Andy Reid and, and the Kansas City Chiefs. You and I watched Andy Reid for for how many consecutive uh, conference championships in that team, you know, play calling and, and turtling up and, and things like that, it, including the Super Bowl that, that really kind of made things not go our way. And Kyle Shanahan, he's another one who doesn't doesn't know when to do the right thing sometimes. And it frustrates you, obviously. Let Brady come back on that Atlanta Falcons team when he was calling plays as a coordinator and and biggest comeback, what, Super Bowl history and all that. And you see yesterday he gets beaten at his own game when the Rams controlled the clock and ran the football to just dictate tempo and keep it out of their hands, whereas that's what the Niners wanted to do the whole time. And the Niners were there, and then suddenly they just snuck him at the end and started getting involved. And obviously Cooper Cup is just – what he is right now um but yeah I, I do i do think garoppolo he strikes me as he might end up in like a washington situation maybe goes to houston and and Deshaun gets dealt but i think with the right setup and, and less expectation he'll have a little bit of time to thrive 
the Jimmy G episode is now over <laughs> and we will, uh, <laughs> we'll get into wide receivers. Now we will move on to, <laughs> yes. The reason that he makes his main, the, the reason he makes a paycheck, uh, there's guys out there catching that damn football. And, uh, we're, we're going to talk about him today, Pat, you want to, you want to lead us off and, and just go back over what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. So we basically have been hitting, uh, mostly on guys that, uh, either both of us or one of us missed fairly badly on. And as far as our preseason rankings go, kind of looking over our process and and maybe why we missed on a guy so badly, you know, in cases of injury or, you know, something like that, we, we won't really touch too much on those guys because it's pretty obvious why, you know, we missed on that person. But as far as, you know, just some other guys that we're looking at and and reasons maybe why, we had another player ranked higher than them or whatever the case is. So let's start off with, and, and just so that, you know, everybody knows we're doing this based on the points per game finish while the overall finish, I think is important in fantasy football. You know, a guy like Derek Henry, who was like, I'm not even going to say arguably, he was the best running back in fantasy football for the first half of the season he got hurt in week eight and didn't play, you know, another regular season game. So a guy like that is just, you know, we know why he finished it, you know, running back 16 or 17 or whatever the case is, but on a points per game basis, he was the number one running back in the league. So I'm just using him as an example, because he's probably the most recognizable instance of, of injury sort of cutting a season short. So, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to dwell too much on the injuries, so the first guy that we're going to get into, the first person, the first player that we missed on was the overall number one wide receiver this year. And I believe the number one overall player in fantasy football altogether, which was Cooper Cup. He finished as the wide receiver one overall, wide receiver one on a points per game basis. He was drafted in the fifth round at 503 was his ADP. I had him at wide receiver 21 coming into the season. Rudy, you had him at wide receiver 15. And uh, just as a little side note, well, let's get into it first, and then I'll, I'll give the little side note as as we go. Cup pretty much dominated every wide receiver stat out there this year. He outscored the wide receiver two, which was Devontae Adams, by almost 100 PPR points and four and a half PPR points per game. He led the league in targets by 22, in team target per- percentage by 3%, and he was the, the wide receiver triple crown winner, which is, you know, most receptions, yards and targets. He had 145 catches, 1,947 yards and 16 touchdowns. Uh, I think that, you know, I can't speak for you, but, you know, as far as our discussions in the preseason, I think that both of us thought that the addition of Matthew Stafford would be a major upgrade for this offense as a whole. But I was assuming that both cup and woods you know might dude don't even get me started i I, robert woods was my keeper and i really felt like i was outsmarting that like you said yeah you and i talk about the scenes and you you could see that that comment and it's like well cup is the reception guy so he'll get all the underneath work Mm -hmm. but woods is gonna go off and be you know finally like eight for a buck 16 and a touchdown maybe two and by the time he got started, he got hurt. <laughs> yeah, to say it. it was that was the whole season. Yeah, like, he had one good game, and it was the one right before in his injury. Yeah, because I remember trading him. Uh, I ended up picking up Jalen Waddle, who, with thank God, who was like 
baby Cooper Cup, so to speak, you know, receptions, not as much yards and touchdowns. And then eventually he kind of matured through the season. But Cup's always been that guy who is a, is a volume guy. I, again, we saw another receiver, Hunter Renfro, who's another guy who's just catch, catch, catch. And if you're playing PPR, forget about it. But to see Cup do what he did all season long, I mean, he still led the league in yak. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, like, number two is Debo Samuel. Number three is Jamar Chase. And everybody thinks, you know, deep plays, deep balls are all, you know, Jamar Chase is a name you think of and, and maybe a Chris Godwin, uh, Justin Jefferson, and, and so on and so forth. But, yeah, Cup not only catches it, but he gets himself in a spot that if he catches it underneath, he can get more yards. And he can still beat you on the deep ball, which we saw happen against Tampa Bay two weeks ago. It, mm-hmm. It's it, It's simply amazing because of, and you look at him and he doesn't look like he's not a big guy. He's not a, a Randy Moss or, or, or anything on that level. He finished amongst what, what looks like wide receivers here. Uh, he's tied for third with a couple of people, but uh, I'm sorry, tied for fourth with, with amount of broken tackles. So uh, he, to say this guy's matured and turned into that, that wide receiver uh, that everybody wants, all he needed was just that level of a better quarterback and enter Matthew Stafford. And some breakfast, apparently. Yeah, yeah, definitely. In 2019, we saw him finish as the wide receiver four with Jared Goff at quarterback. And I think, you know, going back and looking at, uh, again, looking at our process, which is what we're what we're trying to do here as far as getting better at ranking players, taking a little bit more information in each each time we do this. Had I looked back and realized how good of a season Cup had in 2019. I maybe would have ranked him a little bit closer. I still thought Robert Woods was going to have a good season. Uh, you know, points per game basis, he didn't. He didn't have a terrible season. But as far as wide receiver finishes, Robert Woods has never finished as high as four, which Cooper Cup did in 2019, like we said. And I think maybe not realizing Cooper Cup's athletic ability um, was my biggest mistake coming into this season, knowing that he had. The ability to finish as a wide receiver, uh, you know, a top five wide receiver probably should have pushed me to not give Woods so much of the credit or so much of the, uh, you know, uptick in production, at least from what I thought, and and maybe giving Cup a little, a little more credit as far as what he may have been able to do. I don't think, obviously, there was no one in the world that that ranked Cooper Cup as the number one wide receiver coming into the season. I don't think anybody uh, Matthew thought. Barry might have. He loves Cooper Cup. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I listen to Matthew Barry. I, I you know I'm I know that yeah, for sure he had he had Devonte Adams as his number one wide receiver. Which why would you not? You got Aaron Rodgers, and you know Adams had been the number one wide receiver the year before. So you know it's just one of those things where, like I said, nobody expects this. When you have 191 targets and and you have the the ability that Cooper Cup has, there's always the the possibility that he's going to finish as high as he did. I didn't think he was going to have that many targets, just based on the fact that um, there were other pass catchers there. I had um, really like Tyler Higby coming into the season. I thought they were going to run the ball. Cam Akers gets hurt before the season starts, which you know changes some things as as far as game plan around probably. So you know there's a lot of factors that that went into this amazing season that he had. But I think next year, looking at, especially when it comes to the wide receiver position, like you had said, looking at who the quarterback is, is probably even more important than maybe I even placed 
you know, value on going into to draft season. But I do think that Robert Woods is still going to have a lot of value next year. And I think the injury is the injury mixed with the Cooper Cup success is going to cause a lot of people to kind of forget about Robert Woods. And, and I think Robert Woods is going to be a huge, huge value next year in drafts because everybody is going to be jumping on cup. And, and for whatever reason, nobody seems to ever want like the number two guy in, in an offense. But I, I have a feeling that I'm going to have a lot of uh, shares of Robert Woods next year when it comes to fantasy football leagues, redraft leagues, because I, I feel like he's going to be a great value next year. All right, let's move on to our second wide receiver well, that we're going to talk about. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Sorry, real quick. Uh, a, you've always been big on grabbing Woods. Uh, I know that for a fact. But B, uh, and, and I think what we're both forgetting, I'm literally just thinking about it and looking at some stuff, is uh, what Odell Beckham has brought to that team now, too. I know right. we're spending a lot of time on this, but again, for Cooper Cup season of review, Beckham has been much more dominant than Woods in a small sample size. Now you might have all three on the same team next year. I think that pulls targets away from Cup. Yes? No? Yeah, yeah. I mean, sure. If they decide to keep keep Beckham on the team, I mean, you know, they're 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 not in trouble as far as the salary cap goes. But now they're pretty good, actually. Yeah. I I mean, how much is how much is Odell Beckham gonna you know gonna demand or want or whatever? I, I'm not I, I'm not a hundred percent sure on what his contract situation is right now. I know, uh, you know that that could end up being an issue. But I mean, I I couldn't imagine what the three of them on an offense would look like. Honestly, I mean, I, I really, it, that would be, that'd be crazy. So he signed a one year, $1.2 million, blah, blah, blah contract with, with incentives. The right? Yep. So just kind of sliding in. So yeah, he would be a free agent after this year going into his uh, age 30 that could play in. I mind you, if they win that Super Bowl and he's comfortable there and he's, you know, the Odell of old and, you know, he's never been a problem. It's just that people act like he's such a diva. If he's going to play ball and win titles and wants to finish as one of those top all time guys, I could see him sticking around there. Definitely. Maybe on like a two year deal or, or even another one, see what happens and then go out and get paid. He'll be around for a while. He's always been pretty good. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on. Uh, we don't want to take up too much time. We feel like uh, Cooper Cup's gotten enough airtime as as far as uh, as much as he could get this year, anyway. So let's uh, let's give a little to the guy that he just beat in this NFC Championship game. We're going to go on to Debo Samuel. He finished the year as a wide receiver three on an overall uh, basis, wide receiver three in points per game. He was drafted at the eight oh three, so you got him in the eighth round this year. And you and I were uh, definitely not up at wide receiver three on. For Debo Samuel, I had him at wide receiver 31. You had him at 25. And on the flip side, strangely enough, and and this goes a little bit into uh, maybe my reasoning for not being as high on Debo Samuel, is I actually had Brandon Ayuk at wide receiver 23. You had Ayuk at 31. So we were almost identically flip-flopped on Ayuk and Samuel Mm -hmm. coming in. I mean... Debo came out of just on fire this season, averaging about 10 targets a game through the first eight weeks. Obviously, Ayuk was sort of, you know, just didn't he, he the beginning of the season, if you remember, Ayuk just wasn't being used almost at all in some of them. He was he was averaging like three or four targets a game, but 
Then all of a sudden in week nine during the Rams game, strangely enough, he had five receptions on five targets for 97 yards and a touchdown. But then he also added five carries in that game for 36 yards and another touchdown on the ground. And then that's where sort of this, this, you know, hybrid phenomenon thing came about. And I don't know if, you know, Kyle Shanahan, you know, like you said, used to be on this, the staff of the Atlanta Falcons. Maybe he saw the way the Falcons were using Cordero Patterson as this hybrid type player and thought, Hey, you know, Debo's got the same kind of skill set as Cordero Patterson, bigger guy, as far as a wide receiver goes, you know, Debo's always been a guy who just, I mean, he plays football like a man amongst boys. Like he, he, he's not one of these wide receivers that tries to catch a ball and then go, go down. So he doesn't get hit, or he's not the type of guy that tries to get out of bounds. So he doesn't get hit. Like he's, he's, he plays wide receiver like a running back. Like he's trying to deliver blows to these defensive backs. Every time he touches the ball, like he's not, he's not the guy that's, that's trying to avoid contact. If you look at his entire season, he had 180 opportunities, carries plus targets, yeah. 136 total touches. You know, that takes into account, obviously, the, the targets that he didn't catch. He had 1,700 total yards and 14 total touchdowns. So, uh, I mean, he's right there with Cooper Cup as far as the, the yards and touchdowns go. Now, obviously, in a PPR league, he's not going to have as many PPR points because he only had 77 receptions, which was like half of what Cooper Cup had. But, I mean, for me personally, I've always loved Debo. I like the way he plays football. I think he's just one of those tough NFL players. Like, he, he's, he's a guy, like I said, he doesn't, he doesn't skirt away from, from contact. My only concern with him coming into the season was the fact that because he plays so hard, he's kind of been susceptible to injury early in his career. Last year, he missed nine games due to injury. And to me, it seemed like even then and in his rookie season, he played with that reckless abandon that I just described. And it seemed like that would sort of lead to more injuries in the future. So I was a little skeptical coming into the season. I knew he was talented, but he's also a guy that, you know, he missed about half of the year last year. So it was just one of those things where I felt like with Ayuk on the team as a sort of more standard, you know, wide receiver type of guy that he was going to, sort of be the wide receiver one and Debo was going to be this guy who, you know, caught those, like you said, like the, the, what you expected from Cooper cup, the quick slants and, you know, the, the hitches over the middle and guy who wasn't afraid of contact and maybe even being used on some gadgets, which he had been used on earlier in his career. So that's kind of what I expected. I used to kind of be the, the, you know, I was expecting more of like an 80, catch thousand yard season for my uke and then debo to be somewhere more in the neighborhood of like 60 or 70 catches which is where he was not for as many yards obviously i was thinking somewhere around you know maybe 800 yards or so and then some rushing but he, he obviously you know blew all those expectations away i do still expect iuk to learn from this season from the the sort of the benching or the the non-usage in the beginning of the season and be a little bit more involved next year right from the get-go but I think I'll still have Debo ranked higher than Ayuk next year, just based on the fact that, you know, the guy is obviously just a beast. And I think any smart coach, which Kyle Shanahan is, is going to try to make sure that he gets the ball into the hands of his best players. And I think Debo is the best player on that team. 
I agree with a lot of it. I I think that seeing the the dual usage, yeah, definitely. Like you just you just said at the beginning that you know he's almost built like a running back, and that's how they look at him. Like six foot, two fifteen, imposing either side. Like you know, if you're out there against a, a cornerback, or or if you're making a play out of the backfield, and they're looking to utilize one of their best weapons. Uh, I think you and I talked beginning of the year that remember Brandon Ayuk, you said you had him ranked higher and he looked to be on paper coming out of last year as that guy that was probably going to hit the next level this year. And then something happened in training camp, remember? And he was like in the doghouse and you didn't even know he was on the team for the first couple of weeks. I think (laughs) of the season, I think Samuel is really like that next level player of we're going to use you to do both. We're, we're going to have you just make plays. And when you look at his receiving stats overall, like you said, he he finished, you know, in yardage, he finished fifth, you know, in, in the points concepts. And a lot of that was aided by the run that he finished top three at the wide receiver position overall. And he did all his points per game were, you know, right there and, and everything else in line. The one thing that I just looked at was that, uh, as far as Debo in the red zone, as much as he was used, and you look at your your big name receivers at, right off the bat inside the twenty, inside you know right. I'll go with that stat inside the twenty. You have Cooper Cup, Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams, Chris Godwin, Hunter Renfro, Keenan Allen, and so on and so forth, and some tight ends will get sprinkled in there too. Way down the line way down the line is Debo inside the 20 and he's only nine targets inside the 20 um, five targets inside the 10 for a wide receiver. And and that's scary that, and, and that could have played into the loss yesterday is like, how come you're not throwing to him enough if he's that dominant of a player now does that mean that, you know, when you look at regression and progression as far as touchdowns and, and things of that nature, that that he becomes that guy? Well, he had six receiving touchdowns. He had eight rushing touchdowns this year, if I'm looking at that correct. So, you know, that's that's a pretty, pretty balanced number overall. But as a receiver, if he's not going to get that now, looking at it, his catch rate was 44% inside the 20, 40% inside the 10. Does that take away from him or does he try to improve on that? Personally, I think he tries to improve on it. He, he I think he's going to end up being probably one of your best wide receivers for the next four or five years, as long as they don't beat him up, using him too much in the running game. If Ayuk is kind of maybe second fiddle to him and, and stuff like that, that's one thing overall. Uh, you know, you and I just talked, we had our Jimmy G moment earlier. So obviously Trey Lance is probably going to be that quarterback moving forward. He's going to look at somebody like a Debo Samuel, who is going to get him out of a lot of trouble. I think that the progression for him, if they decide to, you know, San Fran's going to pull back, look at what they did right, what they did wrong. How do we, how could we have been better? Blah, 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 blah. We're looking at fantasy stats and we're saying that Debo, you know, overall in our league of record, NFL.com, a PPR full point uh, with some bonuses clicked in there. But some of his points came from running. I'm sure if you took that away, and again, I did not do that legwork, I apologize, but 
that that would have chopped him down. The running would have chopped him out of the a, a little bit of that top three as a wide receiver position. Now you do have some guys that are a little bit hybrid on that list, but a lot of them are are what they are. I I, I think as long as they use them both, they could use them both ways. It's still going to keep him in that top three, top five, six conversation. If they try to lean on him more as a wide receiver, which you know we looked at. San Fran is a running team, and, and you looked at the different players. They they had interchangeable guys, Elijah Mitchell, the injury after injury that that played into it. But little did we know, or, or I guess, you know, behind the scenes is Debo Samuel was probably their best running back overall. I'm, I think he could get better as a wide receiver, but if Shanahan's still there, and especially if you're going to have, in a sense, a quote-unquote rookie quarterback, but a first-year full starter in Trey Lance. Now it's going to be his team. If they do move off of Jimmy G, that he turns into being the same player. So fantasy-wise, he's going to put up the stats for you. But again, I think he has more potential in the red zone, in the red zone as a receiver. But yeah, if he got eight rushing touchdowns, then it's kind of hard to tell. You know, He's just going to be that guy. He's going to get the points at the position either way. Uh, and, and that's probably that next level. Like as long as he's getting you that 21 points per game, one way or the other, he's scoring touchdowns. You just don't want to see the regression on the rushing end and not enough added on to the receiving end. All right, let's move on to uh, we'll move on to Jamar Chase. We actually had sort of all three of the Bengals wide receivers. We were going to talk about all three of them. So I fear I feel like we could probably kind of hit all three of them together. Chase ended up as the wide receiver five overall wide receiver five on a points per game basis. He was drafted at the end of the sixth round, the six eleven, And I had him ranked as the 29th wide receiver. You were a little bit higher with him as on as 27. As far as Higgins and Boyd go, you and I were flip-flopped on the two of them. I had Higgins at 22. You had him at 32, and then you had Boyd at 14, which was the highest of all three of the Bengals wide receivers, and Higgins at 44, which is the lowest. Both of us had Chase right in the middle, which I think was probably uh, a little bit of a a hedge for us because we weren't really sure how much use he was going to get coming into an offense that already had two pretty good established wide receivers. So I'll let you go ahead and and take the lead on this one and and sort of explain your rankings for, for the three Bengals wide receivers. Well, I mean, Tyler Boyd being the veteran in the room, I I felt was probably going to get the most, uh, I guess to say the, the, the biggest looks, there was a lot of talk coming out of training camp that like Jamar Chase back. And to be honest, back in the day for LSU, I really thought he was going to become a great NFL wide receiver. And then he sat out uh, the COVID year of you know 2020 and didn't play and then came right out and did what he had to do this year and we and we saw that you know he, he had a little bit of a, a lull midseason which is understandable you know all you know teams adjust and but when you turn around and see what Tyler Boyd was like a top 25 wide receiver everything kind of leaned his way to kind of take over that role in in a stronger sense, I guess. And it was hard to tell. Like you had Burrow, don't forget Burrow blew his knee out last year. So, you know, that that was one thing you're you're, you're all over the place. Tyler Boyd was a, a pretty solid player 
for that team. And I felt like he had the opportunity to be the guy. Higgins maybe be in the second. Chase maybe be in the third. Higgins maybe be in the outlier. Hadn't seen a lot out of, of any of them. But when it comes to being wrong, 100%. I, I, I mean, because you look into it too much and then you stay, take a step back and say, well, Barrow and Chase were teammates and they lit up college football there for for a couple of years. So maybe they'll get the, the band back together and do what they got to do. T. Higgins being the younger SEC wide receiver, he jumped right in and was able to do what he had to do. And this year, yeah, Tyler Boyd was just really an afterthought. He was a third wide receiver at best, had a game or two when the other guys were getting covered, that kind of a thing. I don't think they're going to move off him, but I think in a sense of reliability, he's there just for that reason, that if there's an injury, if there's something that goes wrong, but suddenly he's going to be, you know, the the old man in the room, so to speak, at 26 going on 27, and that's kind of insane. I mean, he came out of Pittsburgh, highly touted, and, and you can only do so much with Cincinnati, but, you know, he's going to be going into his seventh year this is kind of that time where maybe he maybe looks to make a move. Like I'm just trying to take a look and see contract wise with Tyler Boyd. And he he's, he's locked in for next season and the following. So they have him until uh, 29. And then after that, he'd be going into the year, his 30th year uh, on this planet as a free agent. I mean, he, he's a trade chip for them. I mean, almost in a sense too. Higgins was a guy that uh, I remember the Eagles were looking at wide receivers going into that draft. Higgins was already pegged for them. Justin Jefferson was the afterthought. Uh, they got neither. They got Jalen Rager. We know what happens there, but Higgins looks solid. And Jamar Chase is everything. It looked like he was going to be. I mean, you look at this offense as a whole, I think all three need to be together right now to get each other over the hump. Because you can't leave Boyd open. He's still a solid wide receiver. Higgins makes plays. We know what Jamar Chase brings. Home runs and singles and doubles. Like, he can do what he has to do. And then you got to worry about, obviously, again, Joe Mixon has really stepped up this year at running back position and become the player people thought. That whole offense is scary. I think they're probably, to me, pound for pound, they're the best. If their offensive line gets solid, they're the best offense in the NFL or none because you have three wide receivers in a passing league with a quarterback. The tight end is moot. Who's a I hopefully it's okay over injury is something you could plug in here or there, but based on the running back, based on the top three wide receivers, and you have Auden Tate who always lies in the background. And anytime the guy needs to get used can make a big play, but he's just the fourth banana out of all those guys. I mean, next year it's definitely chase is still going to be a top five. Higgins is a top 12 to 15. Boyd, we'll see if he stays with them unless they you know, decide to use him to get something maybe out of the draft. But if not, Boyd is still going to be a top 25. So to look at an offense that has three wide receivers, all potentially top 25. Oh, by the way, the running back's a top five running back. And the quarterback is definitely moving up the charts going into next year as probably a top five quarterback. Uh, I think suddenly Cincinnati Bengals are one of those offenses you're going to, you know, tie your wagons to for the entire season. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, going into the season, it seemed like a lot of people were sort of expecting Jamar Chase to have that Justin Jefferson type rookie season and 
they they were wrong because he actually blew Jefferson's rookie season away. And he, yeah. he, he, I mean, it was just Jefferson held the rookie receiving yardage record for exactly one season. Chase eclipsed that, and along with adding six more touchdowns to Jefferson's total that he had of seven. So, um, as far as a fantasy points perspective is, he completely blew away Jefferson's incredible rookie season. I'm going to be honest. I had my doubts about Joe Burrow's growth coming into this season. This was only a second year. He missed the majority of his first year with that knee injury. The Bengals offensive line was labeled as one of the worst in the league and correctly because they, they are, you know, we saw in that, that game against the Titans in the playoffs that they are, they were Swiss cheese. And let's be honest, they're the Bengals. I mean, they've been one of the worst franchises in the NFL for a long time. And I just didn't see one player changing that, but to their credit, Burrow and Chase made history and looked like they could have a Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams type of connection for many, many years to come. I will say that I expected Higgins to have a good season, which he kind of did finishing as the wide receiver 24 overall and wide receiver 13 on a points per game basis to your point. You know, being a top 15 wide receiver, he did miss a few games. So wide receiver 13 points per game. Uh, And Tyler Boyd, you know, for being a number three, which is sort of where I expected him. I had Higgins as the one, Chase as the two, Boyd as the three. He had a good season as well. He finishes the wide receiver 32 overall and wide receiver 39 on points per game. So I was dead on with, with those two as far as where Higgins and Boyd finished. I just didn't see Chase having the type of season that he had and I didn't see the Bengals being as good as they were so uh, I was I was definitely off when it came to Jamar Chase I will say the next year <laughs> I'm gonna have a little bit I'm gonna have I'm gonna have a lot just like Robert Woods I'm gonna have a lot of shares of of T Higgins because I think that you know as good as Jamar Chase is mm-hmm. you gotta remember going into to next season you're gonna have to pay a premium for the guys who finished high this year so I'm I'm actually keeping this notebook that I'm that I'm doing, you know, my my notes in now. And I'm gonna go back and look at this before I rank players next year and before I draft next year. And I'm gonna, you know, try to remember which players are going to be draft day values because say you're in the second round and you have a choice between, you know, Cooper Cup and Jamar Chase and you know Tyreek Hill, let's say, or something like that. Any one of those three guys would be a a, a solid pick early in the second round. But you have to look at, you know, what can you get later on in the draft that is going to return the type of value? Because when you're picking in those first few rounds, you're looking for guys that are almost surefire hits. And I think, again, when you're when you're looking at, you know, team value. Chase is obviously the wide receiver that you want, but he's the one that you're going to have to pay the most for when it comes to you know, your draft capital. So uh, I'm going to have a lot of Robert Woods. I'm going to have a lot of T Higgins. And uh, I, I think I'm going to be pretty happy with, with how that sort of plays out as far as, you know, getting value on those wide receivers later on in the draft. All right, let's move on to our next wide receiver, who was Deontay Johnson. He was a wide receiver eight overall wide receiver nine on a points per game basis. He was drafted in the fifth round at the very end. Five twelve was his ADP. I had him uh, much higher than you did coming into the season. I had him at wide receiver 18. You had him all the way down at wide receiver 41. Uh, yeah, I thought Juju was going to be the guy. 
That's it? That's your whole explanation? All right. We'll move on. <laughs> well, not totally, but mostly, yeah. <laughs> Man, don't forget, yeah, he went out early, and then they just threw it all to Deontay. It was like, give the ball to Will. Like, that was it. They had not a lot going on. It took a while for Fryermuth to develop as a bit of a target and reception guy, and sneakily has been – He's another guy going into next season, tight end wise, is really going to be understated depending on who quarterback is. But no, Deontay Johnson, yeah, like we knew he was going to be a good wide receiver, but wasn't expecting him to get the load as quickly as possible. If Juju's there, he's going to cut into, you know, his target share of 169, which tied for second in the league with Devontae Adams. He's going to chop. But 40, 50% out of that, I mean, you know, based on what he's theoretically commanding, you know, that's going to cut into his stats. But now that they see that Deontay Johnson can be the guy, and again, I did not see that. And, you know, not knowing that he could be that guy at the same time, yeah, uh, 100%, I was dead wrong. But a lot of it led to the fact that it was going to be a little more of a spread offense with two wide receivers and... You know, they were going to maybe lean on the passing game. Najee Harris might play into it, but that was it. That's all I got. <laughs> I just say, yeah, no offense. I mean, we're just talking about three wide receivers on the same team that if one goes down, yeah, T. Higgins is going to suddenly become Jerry Rice, and I get that. Now, at the same time, Deontay Johnson, with a, a good year or two under his belt, is now going to be the guy. Yes, but – knowing that Juju was going to command a little bit of that. Now he's not, maybe he's not, who knows, coming back. You know, he was ready to play coming back from injury in, in the playoffs and all, but, and you don't have Ben. So who's the quarterback as, as much as you want to rip Roethlisberger for not being able to throw the ball five yards or whatever, obviously, yeah, he still contributed to Deontay Johnson's receiving season that he had. Yeah. Well, to your point about Juju Smith-Schuster last year, Smith-Schuster was healthy for, pretty much the entire season. I don't think he missed a, a single game last year. Deontay Johnson actually missed the last four games of the season and still finished with 144 targets, which was, I believe, sixth um, in targets in the NFL. And I, I, I think I just – last year you could see – there were, you know, Johnson had that issue with the drops at the end of the season and – you know, yes, were, a little bit know, this year too. It. Yeah, which every 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 receiver is going to drop passes here and there. Yes, he did have a little bit Not more in some bigger spot. He had a big drop in that playoff game yesterday. I know, I so know. it happens. Listen, man, you, you know, you lacking concentration for for you know whatever reason it, it just happens. But as far as my like for Deontay Johnson, I did feel like he was going to finish in the top five in targets. As far as what you actually do with those targets, nobody knows how that's going to go. But I feel like as long as you're getting those opportunities, you have an opportunity to finish. You know, like you said, he finished second in targets, tied for second. He finished as wide receiver nine in points per game. So obviously his targets were not as high value as a guy like Devontae Adams, who finished with the same amount of targets, but finished as the wide receiver two. So, you know, obviously all of that stuff comes into to account. I will say again, and, and I'm trying to look at, at all of these players, looking at what we did this year, looking at, you know, where they may be next year. I will say that if the Pittsburgh Steelers do not do something at the quarterback position, I don't think I'm going to be as high on Deontay Johnson next year as I was this year. I just can't see your cousin Mason, you know, being able to throw him the ball 
uh, as <laughs> as effectively as Ben Roethlisberger did. So I'm just not uh, I'm not going to be a huge fan of of Deontay Johnson next year. As good as he's done these last two years, the quarterback is going to matter, and the offense is going to matter. And Pittsburgh's offense was not good this year. And if they don't replace Ben with a more serviceable quarterback than, you know, like I said, than Mason Rudolph or um, who's the other guy they have uh, that they uh, 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 Dwayne Haskins. Haskins, yeah. If they don't, if they don't do something with that situation, oh, get, okay, get Jimmy G. There you go, that, boom. Steelers Super Bowl done, and Juju's <laughs> going to be the lead. Put it in the book. Just saying, done, done. We already we figured it out. Next year, put your money, put your money on the Pittsburgh Steelers going into next season. <laughs> Thank you for whispering that, by the way. I don't want it to get out. I want to make some money. I don't want oh, okay. going up. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's move through the rest of these guys fairly quickly because I, I do feel like we're kind of spending a lot of time on each of these guys. And, and we do have a few more that I want to make sure that we get to. So let's let's kind of speed this up a little bit. We grouped Cincinnati, so we're done, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. We're we're completely done. We can just mm-hmm. sign off. Yes. Uh, the next guy that we're going to talk about real quick uh, is Adam Thielen. He finished as the wide receiver 28 overall. Finished as the wide receiver 17 on a points per game basis. However, you know, obviously because of the injury, he still finished the year, even with only 95 targets. He still finished the year with 10 touchdowns. His ADP was, um, sorry, I skipped that. His, AD, his ADP was eight, eighth round, third pick, so 803. I had him at 34, I, and you had him at wide receiver 13. So you were... You were pretty close on this. You had him, you know, he, as 13, he finished at, at 17. So uh, I'll go first since I was so far off. I was low on Thielen coming in basically for two reasons. One, I thought his age was going to finally catch up with him. He's, you know, he came into last season 30, but I believe he's 31 years old now. And I thought Jamar Jefferson's outstanding rookie season was going to demand more targets and I think, you know, it wasn't until Thielen got hurt that the Vikings finally decided like, oh, we need to throw the ball to Jefferson a lot more. In the games that uh, Thielen and Jefferson played together, Jefferson averaged 8.9 targets per game. Thielen averaged 8.2 targets per game. It's, you just hate saying you're wrong. <laughs> no, no, no. I listen. I was, I was, I was off on Thielen. I think that honestly, I think had Thielen played the entire season, I feel like he would have finished a lot higher than than where he did. I think that wide receiver, you know, being a top twelve maybe wide receiver with the way things were going, I think was completely feasible. I, I'm going to say that I was completely off on Thielen. I felt like Jefferson was going to take over you know, for a couple different reasons and he just didn't. And I, I, that's a credit to how, you know, how well Adam Thielen kept himself in shape and and how well he's still, you know, playing football as a 30 plus year old wide receiver. Sounds like you're a bit of a fan there, buddy. Um, I mean, my thing is he's every, he's a borderline tight end. Like he's just that guy. He's not going to get you yak. And, and he's not going to go down the field 48 yards before he makes his reception, but he's going to get you things that are imperative to your team being part of, you know, moving downfield, uh, so to speak. And we saw Minnesota, Kirk Cousins and all them, you know, they Minnesota 
offensively throughout the season, even after, you know, Thielen's injury with Dalvin Cook, with Jefferson, with Thielen, Ty Conklin playing like a nice spot there and KJ Osborne filling in nicely. Like their offense moved the football. Their defense couldn't stop anybody. If they had a little bit of action on defense, they probably would have made the playoffs. I mean, they were hanging around at that point. And what Adam Thielen brings you is a possession receiver. Uh, He finished top 20 in receptions per game. And that, in in a PPR sense, is exactly it. His volume is going his way. Like he's getting, he's getting targets, but even when he doesn't, he's still making the most. He's not dropping. He catches 70% of the balls thrown his way. Where where Jefferson is obviously way more dynamic playmaker. Absolutely. But Thielen, and, and I know what you're saying, the the age and the injury, he's probably got three really good years left of the same production as long as there's not nagging injuries. He's a few years back, I remember taking him because he was up on the list. And, you know, I can't say I'd heard of the guy, you know, coming out of college. Yeah, he's he's a he's a good NFL wide receiver. Now, I did expect him to, A, make it through the whole season and that offense, B, become way more dynamic to know that he was there in a points concept, but not in a totals concept, probably would have broken through on, on some of the other stats. I, I think different factors hold him back. And and again, he's going to play off of Jefferson a lot more. I still feel like he's depending on, you know, what kind of league you play in his PPR alone. Like he's got to be on your radar and he's got to be one of those guys. Like you just talked about like draft day values. The next wide receiver we're going to talk about is Brandon cooks. Cooks finishes the overall wide receiver 19 points per game, wide receiver 20. He was drafted right behind Thielen, and the uh, 901 was his average draft <laughs> position. Almost you, the same guy. Yeah, I know. It's yeah, crazy. You had him at wide receiver 46. I had him at 35. So we were both uh, much lower on Cooks. I just thought with all the turmoil that was kind of going on in Houston, yeah, coming into the season, the whole Deshaun Watson thing, the coaching change. Yeah, I just I felt like it was a situation that was just I didn't really know what was going to happen. I, I wasn't sure on the running backs. I knew we had that whole discussion, you know, in the preseason as far as running backs go. But once again, Cooks produced like he does every other year. I mean, the knock on him is that he's never going to be, you know, these guys that we were talking about earlier, like your Jamar Chase and your Justin Jefferson type. He's just not going to like lead the league in receiving yards or in touchdowns like that's not who he is he's just a steady solid wide receiver who's going to get open and who's going to catch the ball when you throw it to him for for his career he averages 109 targets 71 and a half receptions just under a thousand yards per season and just under six touchdowns per season so you know again he's not going to be your your Devontae Adams he's not going to be you know, he's never he's never going to have a season like Cooper Cup had this year. That's not who he is as a person. But as far as his points per game and his points per season, he averages over 200 fantasy points PPR every pretty much every season except for his rookie season. And there was a season where his season was shortened by injury a little bit. It was the only two seasons he didn't have uh, at least 200 fantasy points. And I remember he's, one he's just season quarterback proof. Oh, yeah. No, I remember one season it ended uh, in injury. I believe it was the Super Bowl. Malcolm Jenkins 
knocked him out cold. Yes. So what are your thoughts on Cooks for, for, for this year and, and next year? I mean, some of his game was played on speed. I mean, again, he's, he's, he strikes me as like he's always been like a bigger version of like a Deshaun Jackson, not with that full top flight speed, but a fast, speedy guy, going to make plays. Obviously, New Orleans had him for a little bit and then dumped him off to New England. And again, we just talked about what happened there. Rams had him for a couple. This season, seeing him in his second year as, you know, a, a wide receiver on a bad team. Now, in 2020, you had Deshaun Watson, and he put up 81 catches, 1,150 yards. Deshaun Watson on a 4-12 and team, I believe it was, borderline MVP numbers, but wasn't going to happen based on a bad team. And then you see him with Tyrod Taylor, my boy Davis Mills, still putting up 90 receptions, 1,000 yards. So he's become like a quicker possession receiver obviously and in the system he's in which is kind of interesting i like him a lot i I was trying to get him in our league this year hard and of course the owner of him was just not having it because i didn't have enough to put him up there uh you know to, to take him off their hands so to speak for me he's everything i want in a fantasy wide receiver And again, I know he's not top five, he's not top 10, but that consistency of what he gives you, like just over these last two years, it's not a matter of, do I start him based on the matchup? Ooh, uh, you know, and you're him and hawing and you're not sure maybe on your wide receiver two or or any, he's a plug and play guy right now. And, And you need that based on, what he brings you. I mean, you had a few of those guys this year, but like, you know, DJ Moore finished ahead of him in receptions and stuff like that. Like, but I'm going to, and, and yards, like I'm going to start him over DJ Moore because I just feel like he's going to give me that much more consistently on a personal level, more than even the points and, and everything else. Uh, I know DJ Moore, like a lot of his was like big games and stuff, but down the stretch quarterback play and different things dictated stuff. So, you know, overall he was what he was. Uh, me personally, I like a Brandon cooks. Uh, and when you look at a points per game, he did he edge out, you know, DJ Moore? Yeah. Yeah. He did a little points per game level. And to me, you know, that one point could be a, a matter of whether or not he's, your, your, your guy or not. But like I said, I, I just, I totally love a player like him. I would love to keep him on my roster as much as possible. All right, let's move on to DK Metcalf. He finished the season as the wide receiver 16 overall wide receiver 24 on a points per game basis. He was a second round pick. His ADP was the two Oh six. I had him all the way up at wide receiver six. You were much closer on where he actually finished at wide receiver 19. And uh, I really thought with with his physical stature and prowess, he was going to be, he was going to eclipse Tyler Lockett as the number one target this year. I just felt like he was sort of the the trajectory of their two careers was was on opposite ends, 
Lockett was coming down, Metcalf was going up, and I just kind of felt like this was going to be the season where DK Metcalf kind of really showed out. But, you know, to Tyler Lockett's credit, he was, he was still incredible. You know, he still led the team in targets. He was still he seemed to be Russell Wilson's, you know, go-to guy. The only thing that really saved Metcalf's season and, and kept him in that top 24, you know, wide receiver two range was the fact that he had 12 touchdowns, which I think, you know, when you're when you're talking about DK Metcalf, you're always going to have the opportunity to get a double digit touchdown season for him just because of his size and because of his speed. I just think that while you know, the three of them are together, Lockett, Wilson, and Metcalf. I just, I don't feel like Metcalf is ever going to get the separation in the target numbers that he needs to be an elite wide receiver. I think that six was definitely too high for him. I, there was much, I had too big of a gap between him and Tyler. And I think next year that is going to be a lot closer as long as, you know, again, as long as those three guys are all still on the same team. I feel like that's a much more prudent and safer route to go with, with ranking Metcalf and Lockett moving forward. You got to catch the football. I mean, that, to me, that's part of it. Like you just said, physical attributes. Absolutely. But if I'm going to look and see that DK Metcalf, just based on 129 targets, caught 75 balls. That's 58% catch rate. Still ended up under, you know, just a hair under 1,000 yards. The amount of, you know, 12 yards, almost 13 yards of catch, 12 touchdowns. Imagine if he caught more footballs. Like, there wouldn't even – I don't even know if you'd be talking about Cooper Cup right now. Like, you know, it's almost to that level. Now, there was a bit of a Russell Wilson injury during the season that definitely factored in where Geno Smith became the guy for a little bit and that whole offense stagnated. And when it comes to offenses, you know, to me, the first rule of the nine round is we don't talk about, you know, Tyler Lockett, but that's just me. At the same time, that whole offense is just an enigma to me. I, people love the quarterback and I don't. People love Lockett. And, you know, I, I bought into that. Nah, like, you know, he still finished pretty solid this year. Whether or not they were playing off of each other based on talent, Lockett became less of the home run hitter and more of the consistent wide receiver. That was also kind of like, huh? Like a little bit of a head scratcher for me. Uh, I, I really don't know what to think. I would personally... If, it, if, if you're drafted next year and you come into these guys are hanging around and I got a bunch of murky people, period. I mean, I'm looking, I'm literally looking at a, an ESPN 2021 fantasy football draft kit. And I'm going to look down the list and wide receiver six is DK Metcalf. And I swear I didn't cheat and, and copy that. Wide receiver 23 is Tyler Lockett. So the fact that they're basically flipped and there's still talk of Russ leaving, which then that would be another quarterback vacuum. I personally just, I want consistency. I, I It's not that I want to so much be the Ronco, set it and forget it. I don't want to just be that person, but I want to feel confident in who I'm picking. And to see Metcalf go from 
looking like he had so much upside and then fall back a lot. And again, to see that catch rate being a factor could have been bad balls. I'm not keeping track on Seattle Seahawks. I'm, I'm not, I, I can't sit there and do that, but to know that Lockett chopped into that a little bit too, and, and everything else in between, like I, I, for fantasy purposes, I get it, but I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to look at two wide receivers that almost seem to cannibalize each other again, based on the quarterback. And, and again, they have Bert, the running game. There's just like, you want to talk about question marks. That's like a question or a question or a question. I, I just, I would stay away. I, I don't like either guy. I don't like the situation there. I don't like the coach this year. They finally, like all their flaws were revealed and yeah, they couldn't make the playoffs. And I know the injury played into it, but to be that team, that's always like, so bleh, I, I just, I can't, I can't do it. All right, so we've got two more guys to talk about. Let's kind of get through these guys fairly quickly. First one is A.J. Brown, finished as the wide receiver 30 overall, wide receiver 26 on a points-per-game basis. He was drafted in the second round, this 211 ADP. I had him all the way up at wide receiver I seven. remember this from preseason. You yes. had him down at 17. You were in love. You and I A.J. Was... were going to go get a room together, and I was like, <laughs> yo, look, I'll take you to dinner, but I'm not – I'm not paying for it either. We're gonna pay half, but I'm not, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, we're going Dutch. I'm not. I'm not treating. Well, obviously, as you so eloquently stated, uh, I was extremely high on Brown coming into the season. I thought <laughs> I thought the addition of Julio Jones would really open things up for Brown. You know, take some of the coverage away, as well as you know Derrick Henry in the run game, sort of giving them yeah. you know more advantageous passing situations and. I really expected Tennessee's passing offense to be like a top five or six in the league this year. And, and they just weren't, I mean, it was actually just the opposite. They were top five in rushing. Mm-hmm. And even with Henry missing half of the season, Sands, yeah, yeah, definitely. they were, they were bottom 12 in the league in pass attempts, passing yards, attempts per game, yards per completion. I mean, all this, the passing stats that, that matter passing touchdowns that I think they were uh, 13th or 14th in the league. It was just, I mean, I still think Brown has the talent to be a top 12, wide receiver but on this team with this coaching staff this personnel i just don't think that he's going to have enough targets to be a guy who has the opportunity to finish inside of the top six let's say he'll still be you know a super solid wide receiver too we're talking about you know dk metcalf i think aj brown is one of those guys who's in a very similar uh, boat when it comes to the situation on his team i don't think ryan Tannehill is a top tier type quarterback i think you know, the way you think about Russell Wilson, that's how I think about Ryan Tannehill. He's just, he's a guy, he's a, he's a Jimmy G. He's a, you know, he's a guy. Who's oh, been, no, he's, he's, he's pretty bad. <laughs> you think, you think Ryan Tannehill's worse than Jimmy Garoppolo? Yeah. Wow. Okay. I, I mean, I disagree, but that's, that's, uh, that's, that's news to me. I, I thought that, uh, I thought that you, that you liked Tannehill. After this season, watching him not be able to, you know, again, the injuries played into things, but to see that playoff performance, to see him not be able to adjust, uh, it was one thing in Miami, and and I know he had a he had a nice minute there in Tennessee. I just now, I, I, to me, you you can't come up that small in a home playoff game coming off a bye, and your first and last throws are interceptions. Sorry, no. And and it, it, I know Garoppolo's last one was a pick. I know it was, but I I would take 
Jimmy G over Tannehill probably nine times out of ten. Fair enough. All right, the last guy that we're going to get into is Amari Cooper. He finishes the wide receiver 27 overall, wide receiver 30 on a points-per-game basis. He was being drafted at the 408, and I had him up really high. I had him as the wide receiver 10. You had him dead on at wide receiver 30. For me, I think my expectations for Dak Prescott sort of flowed into my expectations for Cooper, for Lamb. I mean, I just... I know that you and I were pretty close on where we had CD Lamb ranked. I think at 15 and 18, I had him at 15, yeah. I had him at 18. And he finishes wide receiver 20, 21 on a points per game basis. So we were both really close on where Lamb finished. I just really thought that Cooper would lead this team in receiving. He's always been talented and kind of like A.J. Brown. I thought the other talent around him at wide receiver would open things up more for him. I was obviously wrong <laughs> on that one. Um, he actually ended the season third on the team in targets behind Lamb and Dalton Schultz. He was second on the team in yards with 865 and tied for first in receiving touchdowns with eight, but he wasn't the dominant alpha receiver that I thought he was going to be. What I, and what I correctly thought was going to be one of the top three offenses in the league. I just had a, a really high expectation for the Dallas offense, which was met, but um you know, I just, I guess they spread the ball around a little bit more. All three wide receivers, four wide receivers, if you include Cedric Wilson, the tight end got involved. You know, obviously we talked about Dalton Schultz a little bit in our last episode. Both Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott were involved in rushing. Zeke finished as a, a top 10 wide, uh, top 10 running back this year, as far as, a, you know, on the total. So I think that the, the the Dallas offense was just spread out a little bit more than I expected it to be. And I think that moving forward, I think all the good offenses are sort of built that way. And I think that moving forward, I have to take that more into account when, when ranking lamb Cooper Zeke, you know, everybody, I think that that's something that I have to pay a little bit more attention to next year. And a lot of mine was a lamb and B I was low on Dak whereas you were not. But again, that was the injury factor recovery playing into it. So to say I lucked out a little bit, uh, the wild card was Dalton Schultz. And you just said he just finished second in targets, right? Be ahead of Cooper? Yes, by one. Yeah. So the fact that he was utilized that much where, you know, if, if you give another 30 of those targets that Schultz got to Cooper based on number one. I think Cooper get, Cooper's always going to hold the best cornerback probably on the team. As much as Lamb is so dynamic as a wide receiver who can play underneath, can get deep, he's going to be their guy. You know, they're they're going to have your your shadow coverage or things like that because quietly what Cooper does give you, and I shouldn't say quietly, but you know, overall, he's really a a, a solid player for that team. Like he's a top. 25 top 30 when it comes to like red zone targets things of that nature he he's always going to be that guy for them and if that's the case then it's going to be a lot harder for him to get open and get touchdowns and and make plays while still putting up stats in an offense now that will spread it around so again and you mentioned Pollard too so now you're talking about 
one, two running backs, one, two, three, Cedric Wilson, obviously filling in for Gallup, three to four, you have like six to seven males to feed on that offense. He's going to fall back a little bit while still being a constant. Again, almost like in a fantasy sense, that guy you can depend on and lean on. Hey, Coop, you know, Dak in the huddle. You got to get up, man. I need you on this play. I know you got this guy. And it's some fade post to the corner, and he jumps up, makes the play, and gets a touchdown. He's going to quietly turn into that guy, whereas Lamb's going to be the more dynamic guy, Schultz the underneath, and the running game, and that'll be what it is. Uh, but going into next year, uh, you know, fourth-round pick, I think that's going to creep closer to sixth round, depending on, you know, how different rookie wide receivers, let alone rookies overall, filter in and and, and drop themselves in into the draft. Because I think after Jamar Chase's season, you're going to see some people definitely start to dive a little bit more into, uh, you know, a rookie wide receiver too. Yeah, absolutely. With with Jefferson and then Chase both coming out and and breaking the, the rookie yardage record back in back-to-back years, I, I do. I think that there's going to be a lot of, even in redraft leagues, I think there's going to be a lot of people clamoring for whatever the big name wide receivers are coming out. All right. Well, I think that's it for us for this week, folks. Thanks for listening to the Nine Route podcast. Make sure that you click that little plus and follow us. We're uh, we're looking to get into our running backs next week, find out uh, where we went wrong on some of our calls at the running back position. Anything you want to throw in there, Rudy, before we head out for the uh, for the night? Well, like you said, uh, we'll, we'll dive into uh, our season and review on running backs, and we will make our Super Bowl predictions. We're going to talk overall, you know, money lines and, and point spreads and over-unders, maybe a prop or two if we're interested. We'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll take a look at some of those based on what we see, again, for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> um not that you would wager anything on those personally, but uh, again, we'll we'll look at that and and yeah, running back season and review, and then uh, you know look to get a look to get ahead for the 2022 season. It's already clocks already ticking, folks. So get ready. <laughs> uh, we appreciate everybody out there listening. Uh, we we thank you again. It's it's been a a great NFL season. We this is our first year. We really love doing this, and we really love that you all listen and like and subscribe give us that plus uh on the podcast and uh again 2022 is going to be a bigger crazier year for the nfl and so that means that's going to trickle down to us here at the nine round all right until next week folks peace peace